Uh, tonight, we are, I think, I think, wrapping up this series on Paul. Um, I've really enjoyed it. It's been very challenging for me uh, week to week. Um, hopefully, it's been beneficial for you. Uh, and I don't have a long talk for you tonight, but I do have the difficult task of trying to tie a bow on this series. Um, one of the things that has been so difficult about this is it is very hard to concisely sum up pretty much any of Paul's thoughts. Um, how do you concisely sum up the untidy and unruly and earnest and relentless work of someone uh, who, who God used to completely change the world in just a few short decades? Uh, many have tried, but um, they end up writing huge books uh, like, like this one. This is something that I meant to showcase to you earlier in the series and just kept forgetting to bring it up with me. This was one of the main resources that I used for the series. Uh, it is by N.T. Wright, and it is aptly named Paul. And that's it. Uh, this is actually the, a shorter version, like a condensed version of a bigger book that he wrote on Paul. This is supposed to be the more accessible and less academic, and it is still like 430 pages. Um, but if you are at all interested in Paul and kind of getting a better idea of the biography of his life, this is a great book. Um, how do you sum up the greatest public intellectual of all time, as N.T. Wright calls Paul? Well, uh, in an attempt to do just that, in this book, um, N.T. Wright writes, must be weird to be an author and have the last name Wright. Anyway, <clears throat> N.T. Wright writes, this is what Paul's gospel and ethics are at their heart. God will put the whole world right at last. He has accomplished this, the main work of that in Jesus and his death and resurrection. And through the gospel and spirit, God is now putting people right so that they can be both examples of what the gospel does and agents of further transformation in God's world. So I sort of already answered the question. This is how one might concisely sum up Paul. Good job, uh, Mr. N. Tom. He's obviously more talented than I am. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be agents of further transformation in God's world? It sounds awesome, but what does that mean? Paul himself writes something similar in Ephesians 2. He says, For we are God's poetry, created by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. I think sometimes, 2,000 years later, with the benefit of all of the development of history and Christianity and just the movement of the church since this time, I think sometimes figuring out exactly what this work looks like today in our present context can be really difficult. What does it mean for you and I today in our everyday lives to follow Jesus, to be agents of transformation? What is the work that Christ wants us to be doing? Sometimes it'd be nice if Paul had spelled things out a little bit more directly for us. Um, but Paul wasn't so much about telling people what to think as much as he tried to help people learn how to think how to think like Christ, and therefore how to act like Christ. And I think we get a beautiful picture of this that can help inform us about what our work is supposed to look like. Um, in one of my favorite bits of Paul's writing, that if you asked me to sum up Paul, I would pick this verse, or these verses, which is why I'm doing that tonight. Um, one of my favorite bits of his writing, it's, it contains one of the earliest Christian hymns that we have record of, is found in the second chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians, where he writes this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, 
not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my friends, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Mm. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Instead, value others above yourself. He says, be like Jesus, who didn't think being equal with God was something, uh, the Greek actually says, something to be grasped, something to be used to his own advantage. But instead, he surrendered all his power and made himself his own creation and then submitted himself to death, a painful death on a cross. And in that posture, in that surrender, in that death, he brought forth life. Distilled down to its essence, this is what God calls us to. This is the kind of work the resurrection compels us toward, valuing others above ourselves. Leveraging our power, not for our own self-aggrandizement, but for the sake of others. This is the tiny countercultural seed that Paul sows in the hearts and minds of the followers of Jesus that continues to sprout and bloom in surprising and, and earth-shattering ways now. Um, and this is in many ways simply a variation of what Jesus taught, right? <laughs> love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And 2,000 years removed from this, it doesn't strike us as profound, but this simple and revolutionary idea changed the world as we know it in profound ways that, that we take completely for granted today. For instance, just as one example, a few generations after Paul, within the Roman Empire, Christian communities had so deeply absorbed this idea of looking to the needs of others above their own that they began to set up the first public hospitals, caring for any and all who were sick. Public hospitals are a uniquely Christian phenomenon. They simply didn't exist before. Isn't that wild? No one had thought to live this way. Before this, medicine was something reserved for the rich and the powerful, which sometimes it still feels that way. But in the middle of the second century, just about 100 years after Paul, there's this plague that strikes Rome. And the rich and powerful all flee the city, um, along with their physicians and medicine, safely away from the risk of infection. And they are shocked to see the Christians remain in the city and tend to the sick at great risk and cost to themselves. Where everyone else fled to save themselves, Christians stayed to save others. No one had ever done anything like that before. This posture characterized the followers of Jesus. They did unprecedented things like set up places to care for the blind, the disabled, uh, the orphans, the needy, 
the most vulnerable of society who had previously been crushed under pagan systems and hierarchies, they found dignity and respect and love and care within these fledgling Christian communities who took seriously the call to reflect Christ and to look to the needs of others above their own. That took seriously the call to leverage whatever power they had to love and care for others, especially the most vulnerable. In a culture defined by using power to dominate others for your benefit, Christians turn the world upside down by using their power to care for others, to play some small part in bringing heaven to earth, and it propelled humanity forward. It hasn't always been pretty. Uh, followers of Jesus haven't always gotten things right. That is an understatement. Um, there's been plenty of evil done in and through the church in the name of Christ, because humans aren't perfect, and evil will always try to twist the truth to gain for its own gain. And the church is just as susceptible to this as anything else, especially when the church abandons reflecting Christ and takes up mimicking the ways the world wields power. But from hospitals to, to science itself that has led to exponential advances in human flourishing, followers of Jesus have always played a monumental role in human advancement. And they will continue to do so because at the heart of what it means to follow Jesus is the most powerful way of being human, the most powerful way to live, reflecting Christ and being the self-expression of God, <laughs> leveraging your power to love and care for others above yourself. This is the power that Paul saw in Christ and in, in what Christ did. It's what compelled him. It's what drove him. It's what fueled him to relentlessly teach and write and minister to become arguably the greatest public intellectual of all time. But just as it was in, in first century Roman Empire, reflecting Christ and leveraging whatever we, we have to look to the needs of others above ourselves is completely countercultural. It was then and it still is in 21st century America. Our, our culture runs on self-aggrandizement, right? And, and the pursuit of personal fulfillment. The pursuit of fulfilling whatever desires you have. And increasingly, those desires aren't even evaluated in any way. They simply are. And if they exist, they must be affirmed and they must be fulfilled. So relationships, marriage, family, community, generosity, sacrifice, all of these things become simply expendable Expendable means to achieving personal fulfillment. Everyone looking to their own interests, none to the interests of others. And it's in the midst of this culture of chaos and confusion and corruption that you and I are uniquely called to reflect Christ and to look to the interests of others above ourselves. This is the abandoned, plagued city where we're called to set up hospitals in to use the metaphor of, of Rome and the first Christian hospitals, at great risk to ourselves and to the benefit of the world around us. So what, what does that look like for you? What does that look like for you in your everyday life to value others above yourself, to look to the interests of others above your own? What does that look like for us as a community? This is our calling. This is our life's work. For we are God's poetry, created by Christ Jesus to join him in the work that he does, the good work that he has gotten ready for us to do. 
work we had better be doing. Are you doing the work? That's the question I want all of us to, to wrestle with, to work out with fear and trembling this week. What is the work that Christ has for me? What am I uniquely gifted and positioned to do to reflect God's love to the world? Whose interests can I look to above my own? That's the question. I think that's a theme that we're going to continually come back to. It's not an easy question to answer, right? And it's not one that I can answer for you. It's one that I can help answer for our community, but ultimately what that means for you in your everyday life is up to you. That comes down to you. You need to figure that out. You need to work that out. Helping people think this way and come to these conclusions and live out their convictions is what Paul was all about. And thankfully, we have the benefit of getting to read his mail still 2,000 years later, and it's still changing the world. Let's pray. God, thank you for Paul. Thank you for his passion and his energy. God, thank you for... Um, giving up everything to become your own creation so that we could live the ways that we were meant to live, so that we could be human in the ways that you intended for us to be human. God, I pray that we would be inspired and driven to find what it looks like to, um, to reflect you today in our everyday lives, what it looks like to leverage our power to look to the needs of others above ourselves in a culture that is obsessed with self and is obsessed with fulfillment of personal desire above all else. God, thanks for this community. Thanks for this group of people to do life with and to learn and to grow with to together grow more and more into who you created us all to be. Help us see what that looks like. We love you, God. Amen.